Father, as we sing these words, we want to know your heart. We sing them with the assurity that you you don't hold that kind of stuff back from us. That you don't shield us from who you truly are. You're a Father who loves. A Father who forgives. A Father who protects and provides for and guides and encourages. You are our Father. We thank you. We praise you. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So, uh, good morning once again. Uh, we have finished. I know, like you, you are very sad that we have moved out of the land of love because you will be missing the playlist that was running through my head during the entire series. Um, but if you need to come and hear more love songs from me, um, I would be happy to oblige because they still are bouncing around in there. Um, I said that at the first service, and I went through like four of them, um, starting with the love boat because that is where you should start. Um, but so, so we're moving on. Uh, we're, we've moved out of love, and we're moving into other things. And today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about how do you hear God's voice? What does God's voice sound like to you? Now, many of you might answer, have already answered James Earl Jones, and that is the correct answer. But in truth, what does it look like? And, and it's not actually how does it physically sound, you know, do you, does your dad sound like your Darth Vader or... But more, what does the voice say? Because that's the more important thing. It's not exactly what it sounds like, but what does it actually say? Now, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, Paul says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, in this um, in this little part of Romans chapter 8, what Paul is doing is Paul is giving us a previously in the history of Israel moment. Because what he's doing is he is the language he's using for the hearers of this. They would have immediately gone back to the Exodus story. Because what he is saying here, he's talking about adoption. He's talking about heirs. He's talking about being children of God, going from slavery into a new understanding of being a son and a daughter. And so what Paul is bringing up to mind is this story of Exodus. If you remember the story of Exodus, this is what has happened. They have spent generations, 400 years as captives in Egypt. They were slaves. All that they knew was slavery. They only knew how to eat and breathe and live slavery. They knew how to be slaves. They knew how to hear the voice of the master, and the master told them what to do, when to do it. It was not a voice of encouragement. It was a voice of um, anger and frustration. That was what they knew. So God brings them from, he hears the cry of his people, if you remember the story, and he brings them from slavery into sonship, as we call it, from slavery into freedom, and he takes them out in the most powerful country in the world. And he says, let my people go, right? And he brings them out through the Red Sea, and we have this amazing event where the army is just washed away of Egypt, and they go and they become 
sons and daughters of God. But it didn't really happen that easy, right? It wasn't just like it went like that. Hey, no, 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 you're not a slave. You're my child. Oh, okay, thanks, God. No. What did God have to do? God had to set up all these rules, right? He sets up all of these rules, all these, all these policies, all these procedures for them to understand, to break free. Because if you just take a slave and you go, okay, be free, have fun. I'm not going to know what to do. It's just like, ah, I've had somebody tell me what to do every day of my life for generations. My father did, my grandfather did, my great-grandfather did. We don't know what to do on our own. So God said, I know that. So we're going to bring things in here, and I'm going to let you feel what it, what it feels like to be a son, to be a daughter. We're going to shape things in such a way that at the end of this, we're going to come out understanding what it feels like to be a child of God. So he does all of this stuff. And so what Paul is doing, Paul's speaking to the people of Rome who live in an oppressive society, right? They live under the oppression of the Roman government, the Pax Romana. Not very peaceful, right? How do they keep peace? By killing everyone. You know, so the Romans were not very good. And they have this oppression over the people who are believers in Yeshua, in Jesus, the people following the way. And you can't proclaim your faith openly because you have to proclaim your faith to the God of the day. Or the God of your village. And so they live under this oppressive society. And Paul is reminding them, hey, we've been here before. We've been here before. And the understanding that we had then was that we were slaves. And what God did was he he brought us out of that. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm your father. You are my child. You are my son, my daughter. You are heir to the kingdom of heaven. Abba, Father, he says. Jesus uses this term when he's speaking about God, and and Paul brings it up again. It's not the only time Paul uses it, but he brings it up here. Abba, Father, this is who God is. How does your Father talk to you? Now, my dad was in the first service, and I said all of this in front of him. And he had a little rebuttal. He's like, and he said after the service, he goes, I'd like to have equal time. I'm like, no, (laughs) I have the microphone and you go home. Um, But, but he was, so he was in the first service. And and what I said was, um, my dad was the dad around the neighborhood that everyone was afraid of. You know, those dads, like if you're going to have a party, it's like, we're not having it at Crocker's house because his dad will kill us. He was that guy. He was the guy that everyone was afraid of, including his children. We were all afraid of him. He was mean. He was a, he was like, you're a good, good father. He was a mean, mean father. Um, it's who he was. Um, and, but he would, I mean, and, and I remember maybe five or six times in my childhood where my father said, I love you. That's it. What I remember is being in trouble all the time. And let's face it, I was an angel. So there was something else going on. I remember getting yelled at all the time. I remember harsh words, not loving words. This is the difference between my father and my mother. When my brother and sister were fighting one time, um, my dad said, go out into the backyard and fight it out. My mom said, why don't you two hug? That's you know, pretty much the difference there. But, you know, so th- this was my dad. This was growing up. Now, now, his story is that his dad died when he was six years old. He didn't have a father. He, he didn't have this understanding of what a father was like. The father figure in his life 
were, were many different men. The, he had five sisters, and the, next, the closest one in age to him was 11 years older. And so his siblings were all married when he was growing up. And they all had their husbands. And what my dad did, my, my, uh, my grandmother, Mama Birdie, that's right, um, was a wonderful woman, but she couldn't handle dad all the time. And so he went to live with different sisters in different times. And so he had Uncle Marvin that was one of his father figures. And he had Uncle Merlin that was one of his father figures. And Aunt Pete. That's right, Aunt Pete. She was awesome. She was like this tall and could whip any of you. Um, I remember watching her ring chickens' necks out in the yard. But that's another story. And, and so, you know, he, he has all of these different, and it was hard times. My dad is 80 years old. He grew up in, he was born in 1935. Most of his family were sharecroppers. He worked on a dairy farm. He had a hard life. It was, you eat what you kill, and you better start killing now. And if you're not bringing anything home for the family, what are you doing here? That was his father's message. And so when he comes to having these three wonderful children that we all are, you know, the other two are okay, but, you know, this one anyway, it's, that was what he knew. That was the voice that he knew of a father. Was you have responsibilities and you better take care of them. And if you're not, we're going to straighten things out. So that was the father's voice that I heard. So I have children. And I have a son. And we talk about my son in here from time to time, Corbin. He's eight years old, but he's five foot one. Yeah, he's, he's taller than his second grade teacher. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Corbin, go sit down. Um, but he's got a sweetheart. He's big. And people think that he's older than he is. People think he's, uh, I remember this uh, one time we were somewhere and this kid was out interacting with him. And he's like, hey, do you go to Cambridge or Woodridge? You're like, you're like in third, fourth grade. And Corbin goes, I go to Howard, which is the kindergarten school. You know, he was in kindergarten at the time. The kid's like, Really? It's like, yeah, and he looks at me like, I don't know what to tell this guy. Like, you know, and so I even sometimes look at him and expect him to act like a 12, 13, 14 year old because he's that size. But I was there when he was born. I remember it. I know that he's only eight. And yet from time to time, I see him functioning and operating in ways that I think a 14 year old shouldn't operate in. And I get on him. Forgetting that he's eight. And the way that I get on him is through words. Because I have a, a great gift of speaking and a great curse of speaking as well. Because I can see things and I can just get on him and, and say stuff that crushes his heart. It's a great thing to know as a dad. He's got this really big, sweet, sensitive heart. A lot of it comes from his sister. And all the stuff that he puts up with and the way that he loves her. It all comes from his mother, really, not me. But, but he has this sweet heart. In fact, yesterday we had a basketball game. It was the last basketball game of the season. And, and Corbin is you know, kind of a dominant force out there. You know, it's not like he's really athletic. It's just when you're a foot taller than everybody else, basketball becomes easier. And, you know, so I, you know, I've been teaching him, do not bring the ball down. You bring the ball down and those little guys can swat it away. But you keep it up here and they can do nothing. 
you keep the ball up here. Um, and so it was at the end of the game. We were winning uh, the game. The game was in, in, in our hands. We had already pretty much won. And it's almost over. And Corbin, uh, one of the other kids, takes a shot. Corbin gets the rebound. And I tell him, there, you should be the only person who gets rebounds. But he gets the rebound. And we're all like, shoot it. And he pulls the ball down where he is not supposed to put it. And he starts swinging around like a little Barkley-esque, you know, and, and, and he's, he's looking. And he's right under the goal. I mean, this is a perfect just boop, put back. And he turns and he finds who he's looking for. He's looking for one of his teammates. And he kind of pushes a kid aside to give him the ball. And the kid's mom is standing next to me, and we're both like, No! And this is what I said, Corbin, that's really sweet, but shoot it. And so after, after the game, I, I, I come up to him like, dude, what are you doing? I mean, that was really sweet, but he goes, well, coach told us to pass it to him because he hadn't got a score this game. And I'm like, well done. That's the kind of kid he is. The other kids on the team are like, you grab the ball, you shoot the ball. You grab the ball, you shoot the ball. This is how you play basketball, right? When you touch the ball, you're shooting the ball. doesn't matter if you're even in the right side. But Corbin's like, no, I wanted him to score. I mean, coach told us to, and he hadn't scored yet, and I wanted him to score in our last game. So this is the kind of kid who, who does things that an eight-year-old should do because they're eight. But I'm thinking he's a teenager because he's gigantic. And I get on him. There have been many times when I've walked back in and I said, hey, son, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for saying that to you. Buddy, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. You're such an amazing, amazing kid. Thanks for being who you are. How do you hear God's voice? What does God say to you? Is it, is it those, those words of condemnation? Ah, you screwed up again. I can't believe it. I can't believe you always fail. I try to set you up for these moments of greatness and you always fail. You never get it right. You're not worthy of my love. Or do you hear... I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. You're such an amazing, amazing kid. Oh, I love you. My heart just bursts every time I think of you. What's that voice that you hear? Many of us get locked into that, uh, you know, that condescending voice. And let me tell you what that voice is. It's yours. It's the world's. It's the evil one's. It's not the Father's. The Father doesn't speak that way. God, Abba, Father, does not speak words that would tear you apart. That's not what a good father does. good father corrects, but doesn't tear down. A good father loves and encourages and supports and says, I'm proud of you. You See, the second part of the story about my dad is, that's the voice I hear now from him. Something changed at some point 
in my life growing up with him, where the discouragement and the condemnation and the anger stopped. And in its place came, I love you, son. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the husband that you are, the dad that you are. I just sit back and I watch it and I'm, oh, that's the voice I hear from the old man now. And he's old. It's funny when he was here, he's like, I am not. But that's the voice that I hear now. That's the voice of God who looks down and says, oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, I'm amazed at the mom that you are. I'm amazed at the woman that you're becoming. Oh, I'm so amazed at the son that you are. Oh, man, I'm so proud of you. That's how God speaks to us. So often, though, we get locked into that other voice. And we say that that's that's the only voice that comes from God. No, that's not even him. He's a father with a heart that loves us so much that he was willing to send his son to lay down his life so that we might have ours. My son, my daughter, I love you. I'm proud of you. When we come to the table this morning, if, those, if that isn't the voice that you're hearing, stop, walk back, and come back again. Because that is the voice that comes from this table. Oh, my child, thank you for coming. I love you so much. Oh, you're such a great, I'm so proud of you. That's the voice of God. The rest of that static, that noise, that isn't him. We live in a world that is so loud. We live in a world that is full of condemnation and attack. But that's not the voice of our Father. The voice of our Father says, Come. Come, all who are weary and tired. Come to me and receive my love.